So, if you would find uh, Luke 7 in your Bibles, and as you're turning, I want to remind you that we believe the Bible is the Word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Um, This is not a bottom-up book, and by that I mean this is not the, the stories of people sitting around an ancient campfire and sharing stories and, and uh, epic uh, drama tales. Um, what do you think God's like? What do you think God's like? Yeah, let's write that down. This is, comes from the top down. Um, this is God's revelation uh, to his world and to his people. And um, so we ought to give a reverent and diligent attention to it. And um, in Luke 7, beginning at verse 36, there's one of what I call the dinner party dialogues. Uh, You won't read this in the standard theologies or whatever. I I, uh, found um, uh, this uh, years and years ago. I noted that Jesus was often invited to go to dinner at people's houses. And he usually blew the place up uh, in some way, not in 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 a bad sense of blowing it up, uh, but, uh, but he would uh, just not be the kind of guest you wish you had invited, okay? And uh, this is one of those stories, actually. Um, and um, so I want us to uh, pray. Uh, I, I, I intend, by the way, my preaching to be in the Gospels for several months. Uh, I may do the dinner party dialogues. I don't know. I'm, I'm still thinking and praying about that. But let's pray and ask God... Um, way I often think of this is we ask the spirit that inspired these words to come and illuminate our eyes uh, to understand them. Uh, often when we go to the, the word in our times of devotion, we'll pray, uh, Lord, open the, open the Bible to me. Um, I often pray that, but I often also pray, open me to the Bible. Uh, there's, those are related, right? <laughs> but they're really a different approach, you know? Uh, the Bible's not closed. I'm the one that's closed, and I need to be opened up to it. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this part of your word this morning, I pray, as I've just said, that the spirit inspire, that inspired it would illuminate it to our understanding, that you would open us up to it, to you and that you would come and meet with us transformatively and powerfully, and that it would not be a dead letter, but living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword in our midst today. Um, Father, uh, meet with us and deal with us as we are. I pray for those who are strangers to grace, that you would open their eyes to see. And for those, O Lord, who have fallow ground that needs to be plowed up, I pray that you would plow it up. And uh, you would use a wretched, sinful, crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 36, one of the Pharisees, and by the way, we know down from verse 40 that this Pharisee was named Simon. Uh, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them 
with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. And we want to say, Sucker, you shouldn't have asked for Jesus to say something to you. Uh, but he did. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, for from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade. This is God's word. It won't fade. It abides forever and forever. I want to ask you a direct question. Do you love Jesus? Now, do you know about Jesus? Do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, how much do you love Jesus? If not, do you want to love Jesus? Would you like to love Jesus more? These are fair questions the, the sacrament reminds us every week of the depth of his love for us. And he created us. I mean, if it wasn't for him, we just wouldn't be, right? So how much do I, how much do we love him? It's a fair question. Yes, it's a good question. It's good to ask periodically, is my love growing cold? Have I been in, distracted and enticed by the world? Am I being led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, to use words from 2 Corinthians 11? It's also an important question. Why is it important? Well, our lack or, of love or having love for Jesus rules our response to Jesus. It determines our discipleship, and frankly, as we will see in this story, it determines our eternity. The passage shows us what is necessary for a great and growing love for Jesus. I don't know how the word Jesus got dropped off in the bulletin, but it's, it's a great and growing love for Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian and say you don't, if you say you're a Christian and say you don't want a great and growing love for Jesus, something is seriously wrong, okay? Uh, seriously wrong. 
I assume if you name the name of Christ, you want a great and growing love for Jesus. And, and so the question is, how can I have that? And this passage, I think, tells us, okay? So let's go to the story, uh, the first uh, section, the first paragraph, and look at the, what happens at the dinner party in, in setting up the parable that's then told. And then there's some concluding, some concluding comments that Jesus has at the end of it, okay? So who is Simon? Well, I just take him as a garden variety Pharisee. Uh, he has some kind of interest in Jesus. I think it's a limited interest in Jesus, but enough interest in Jesus that he invites Jesus to his house for this dinner party. I think he wants information more than he wants relationship. He's curious. He's heard, I think, that Jesus was a prophet. Uh, back in verse thir- uh, 16 of this chapter, they say a great prophet has arisen among us. And then in verse um, 39, he says, well, if he was a prophet, he wouldn't have let this woman do these things, touch him and, and all of this. He would know she's a sinner. So I think he's heard she, that Jesus is held to be a prophet by some people, and he kind of wants to check it out for himself, which is a noble and good thing, right? So he has this dinner party, and I'm sure that uh, you've been told how they did dinner parties. Their, their tables tended to be rectangular, and they leaned in with their heads toward the table, and they would have people around the table. I think that's the way the disciples did the Last Supper as well. Um, and, and these things were semi-public. Somebody could have come in off the street, a lot of these uh, homes and Places were, were open, more or less, and somebody could wander in off the street and hang around on the periphery, and it wouldn't be thought to be a strange thing. I mean, today it'd be really strange if somebody walked in your front door when you're having a party and walked around the dining room table. I know that. But in those days, it wasn't, it wasn't as odd. And, and so he has a, I'll call it a, a cerebral uh, interest. I think his interest doesn't, isn't driven from the heart, but from the head. And he wants to examine Jesus intellectually. It says in verse 40 that he considered Jesus a teacher. He's say it, teacher. Okay. He thinks he's one of the many Jewish traveling rabbis or teachers that were around that day. No, I think Simon, as being what I call a garden variety Pharisee, thought that he was a good guy and that he was good enough to get to heaven because of his goodness. He thinks that his religion and his lifestyle will bring him the security in the arms of God and the satisfaction in his heart and, 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 and make him feel significant. And, and, and he's just wrong. Uh, and I think it's possible, this is speculative, I know it, you'll remember the story of the one called the rich young ruler, okay? And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, uh, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, he quotes the commandments except the one about coveting, okay? And, and he, the, the rich young ruler says, well, Jesus, I've done all those things since my youth. And Jesus said, and, and the, oh, excuse me, before Jesus said, he said, I've done all these things since my youth. What do I lack? What do I lack? And what he means is, I've lived a pretty good life, and I know in the depths of my heart I'm not where I need to be. 
I know in the depths of my heart that I'm not rightly related to God yet. I think that may be driving this man. I go to church. I give tithes. I'm a good Pharisee and all the things that would mean. What do I lack? Maybe if I have Jesus over for dinner, something will happen and I'll, I'll be told and, and I can get it. Many of us have felt that way, haven't we? Some of you were church members for a long time before you became Christians. I was a church member for 12 years and, and then became a Christian. And if you had asked me in those 12 years, are things right? I would have said, mm, I don't feel that way. Maybe some of you feel that way now. You've come to church a long time. And you still think, what do I lack? Why is it not working for me? People talk about this and this and this. That's not my experience. Do you feel that way? Maybe this passage is for you. So that's Simon. The woman has a deep and emotional love for Jesus. It's not a matter of the head. It's a matter of the heart, right? In verse 37 and verse 39, she's called a sinner, perhaps of a flagrant kind. Perhaps she has a reputation in town. We don't know how Simon knew. Jesus calls her a sinner. In verse 47, Jesus says her sins were many. Well, we kind of write Jesus off on that because he's God, right? So he knows it all. He knows that kind of stuff. Probably she's called a woman being of the city or in the city. Probably she's a prostitute. I will assume that she was. We're not told that. If so, she probably thought that men and sex could give her security, could give her significance, could give her satisfaction. And these are the things we all long for. We long for security. We're wired for security. Why? Because we were in the garden, a very secure place. In Adam, we were in the garden. And they were expelled from the garden. And ever since, we have been security seekers. Ever since, the human race has sought security. We seek significance because the break of the relationship with God has made us insecure. One thing I know of every person in this room is that you are insecure. And you are seeking security. You're either going to seek it from God or from driving some kind of car or living in some kind of house or having some kind of bank account or driving some kind of clothes or having some kind of something that I don't even know. I'm an old man. I don't keep up with the latest, you know. People kill for a pair of Nike sleep sneakers. Why? Because they want to be somebody. They want to feel significant. Why do they want to feel significant? Why do they feel insignificant? Because in Adam they were expelled from the garden. And now we're wanderers. Yes, absolutely. And she thought, I think a lot like the woman at the well. You know the woman at the well from John 4. And Jesus said to her, well, you've been married five times and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. What was her problem? She thought men and sex would satisfy her soul. And that hadn't worked out for her. Now, I don't know what you are seeking for uh, to give you security, significance, satisfaction apart from God, but those are the idols in your life. Those are the idols in your life. And, and, and I think this was an idol in her life. And, and so she's gotten to the point where it hasn't worked for her. 
It hasn't worked for her, and her guilt is very real. And she knows that she's not going to gain acceptance with God by being who she is. As a matter of fact, she knows that her lifestyle makes her very unacceptable to God. And I think that's why she approaches Jesus. And she's attracted to Jesus. That's amazing, you see. Here's a woman of the city. that We, some, we used to call these people street walkers. And she's attracted to Jesus because of his welcome, because of his concern, because of his message of full and free forgiveness and acceptance by God, by grace alone, through faith alone. Even for people like her. Crying out loud, the Pharisee would have said, well, you can be accepted by God if you live a good enough life, if you tithe enough, if you do this and do that and go to church enough, but... But she knows that's not her, and Jesus is going to tell them that that's not the Pharisee either. It's a beautiful passage, really. She was willing to sacrifice the most valuable thing she had in order to show love to Jesus and gratitude to Jesus. She's bold, right? She's very bold. Imagine you go to a dinner party. Somebody invites you over to a dinner party. And somebody, even at the party, much less somebody who walks in off the street, somebody at the party comes up and pours perfume all over your head. You think, is that weird or what? She's bold. I mean, really? And she's shameless. She's bold and she's shameless. She begins to weep profusely. She is not just whimpering. She wet his feet so much so they needed to be dried. She is bawling, bawling. She is what we call at a dinner party, she is making a scene, <laughs> right? She is making a scene. And so she let her hair down. And she wiped his feet with her hair. What do you think of that? If you're about 10 or 11-year-old boy, you say, gross, that's gross. And it kind of was, really. It's gross. It is. Simon, the Pharisee, and his guests see it as immoral. We'll tell you why. If you watch a movie or television show in which a woman unpins her hair, and shakes it out. I can't, I'm not even going to try to, that one, okay? But you know what I'm talking about. She unpins her hair and shakes it out. What's about to happen? The scene is about to get steamy. If you don't know what that means, ask somebody else. I'm not going any farther, okay? <laughs> the scene is about to get steamy. What is this? Well, the rabbi said for a woman to let down her hair in public was grounds for divorce. Really? To them, to them, when she let her hair down and began to wipe his feet, it was as if for us she took her blouse off and began to wipe his feet with her blouse. You say, whoa, really? Really. That's how it hit Simon. That's how it hit Simon. Oh, wow, really? Mmm, this is serious stuff, isn't it? Yep. But how does Jesus see it? 
For a woman to let her hair down in the presence of a deity was a sign of humility and reverence and worship. Oh, really? It helps to have a little historical background, doesn't it? It does. It really does. And so it was, she's here to worship Jesus. She's here to adore Jesus. She's here to show her love for Jesus. Sure, she'd take her hair down. Sure, she would wipe his feet with her hair and anoint his feet with, with, with ointment from an alabaster, very expensive vial or container, right? Yeah. She doesn't care what anybody thinks. Why? Deep love for Jesus. Deep love will cause you to do some really crazy stuff. If, if we had enough time, I would ask you men, did you ever do anything really stupid on Valentine's Day to show your love for a lady friend? And some of you would say, yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I remember it. I remember it. Because that's what love does. Love causes people to be uninhibited and, 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 and not to care what other people think. And that's where she is. Now compare that with Simon's intellectual curiosity. Well, I've heard this guy's a prophet. I wonder if he is. I think I'll have him in my house for dinner. And I'll just check him out. Well, she's not just checking him out. You see, Jesus is not just a man who will not take advantage of her like all the rest. He's a man who will help her and not hurt her. His love will build up and not tear down. Look in verse 39 at Simon's reactions. I've already touched on this, but, but I want to look at it more directly. He says to himself, he's not speaking out loud, but Jesus knows what he's thinking. If this man were a prophet... Um, he would know who this, who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. His reactions to her are disdain, right? And disgust and denouncement. No compassion. If you ask Simon, do you want this woman in your house? No. Do you want her to come to your synagogue? No. She doesn't fit. But he should show compassion. Why? On what basis? Well, she's made in the image of God, just like him. Because his sin offends God, just like hers. Because her sexual sin is a sign that she's seeking a depth of relationship and fulfillment that can only be gotten from God. And so he reacts, it must not be a prophet because he let her touch him which made him unclean because he doesn't know who she is because he doesn't know she doesn't fit. But here's what happens. See, a dirty woman touches the dirty feet of a clean man and the clean man becomes unclean and she becomes clean. And see, that's the gospel. A dirty woman touches the dirty feet of a clean man and she becomes clean and he becomes unclean because he has touched that which is unclean. I think it's not without significance that uh, Simon uses the word touching toward the end of verse 39. 
for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the great exchange. Our sin on him, his righteousness on us, received by faith. Ultimately, that's what Jesus is going to do for her. So that's the setting up, and let's, let's go through the parable quickly. Simon, I have something to say to you. And the sucker said, tell me, tell me. Okay, so you got a money lender. That's the, the God figure in the story. And the money lender's got two debts out. One guy owes him 500 days wages, 500 denarii. The other one owes him 50 days wages, 50 denarii. Uh, you got a 10 to 1 thing going on here. This guy owes 10 times as much as the other one. Hey, and both, by the way, are bankrupt. Neither can cover their debt. And all sinners are bankrupt. I can't cover my debt to God. You can't cover your debt to God. You're bankrupt before God. You don't have the currency that will work in that realm. You ever gone overseas? First time I went overseas, I had U.S. dollars, and I was going to Belize on a mission trip. That, and I thought, well, they're going to take my money. Will heaven take my money? Will heaven take my righteousness? No, because yours isn't good enough. But heaven will take the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is good enough. So the money lender cancels the debt of both, and Jesus asks this question. Jesus is such a great teacher, right? I mean, it's like anybody get the answer to this. Which one's going to love him the most? Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I think probably uh, the one that uh, he forgave the most of, right? You got it. So then Jesus applies the story and begins to contrast Simon and the woman. Uh, look down at verse uh, 44. Um, uh, after Jesus has said, yeah, bingo, you got it. You won. You get the prize. He turns to the woman and said, you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears. There's the contrast. You didn't refresh me. You didn't refresh me by by, by uh, cleaning my feet, my dusty, dirty feet, but she did. You gave me no kiss. From the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. And so then in verse 47, Jesus speaks first personally of her and then more generally of all around there. He said, look, her many sins are forgiven because she loved much. And, and the fact that she loved much is proven by her actions. Now, she does not earn her forgiveness by her love. He says uh, very clearly over in verse uh, 50, your faith has saved you. Because faith is the instrument that connects us to Jesus Christ. So you, you wonder, how can I get connected to Jesus? It's by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But so, so it's, it, it's not that her love earns his forgiveness, it's that her love expresses the forgiveness that she gets by faith. And then speaking impersonally, he says, he who, he who is forgiven little loves little. And if Simon, it's pretty obvious, you know, but Jesus says it, I think, he says it kind of generally, generically, he who is forgiven little loves little. Simon, you feel like you were, you were this good. Maybe you need me for a little bit. 
but you don't feel like you've been forgiven a lot. And I think Simon gets it, you see. Key question. What does Simon need to do? Does Simon need to go out and commit many great sins so that he can love Jesus more? No. Do you or I? No, I don't think so. All we need to do is realize the many that we have already committed and the reaction of our holy God to the ones we already have. You see, the key thing about, in this passage is about relating to Christ and loving Christ. And it's not having an academic, intellectual, head-only interest in Jesus, but a heart uh, interest in Jesus. It's not just being able to affirm certain truths, but to embrace from the heart. And here's why. The key to being touched in the heart is knowing the greatness and the forgiveness of our sin. And if you don't have a demonstrated love for Jesus, then either you don't know the depth of your sin, the seriousness of your sin, or the grace that it's taken to forgive you. The key to a great and growing love of Christ is to have an increasing increasing sense of His grace which requires an increasing sense of my sin and sinfulness. Let me say that again. If you're going to have a great and growing love for Jesus Christ, then you've got to have a growing understanding of your sinfulness so that you'll have a growing understanding of His grace. Um, Late in His ministry, late in His ministry, the Apostle Paul said this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now, did Paul say, I am the foremost, because he just kind of said it for effect? I'm, I'm, I'm the worst sinner in the world. You know, kind of like some of us have said it, you know. Um, is that what he said? Or did the Apostle Paul think, from his personal perspective... Because he knows his heart and his thoughts better than anybody in the universe except God. Does he really think that? I think he really thought that. Why do I think he thought that? Well, because he says it, yes. Says it in inspired scripture, yes. But I think he'd gotten really close to God. And when you get close to the light, you can see things you've never seen before. Now, let me tell you a story. Use an illustration to tell you a story. Because this is where so many people that profess the gospel get led into becoming Pharisees for failure to appreciate a point I'm about to make. Suppose we're in this room and it's totally dark. Totally dark. Not just nighttime, totally dark, okay? And you and I are standing back there, and we put one candle here, and we let the candle represent God, okay? Totally dark except for the one candle. And we sit there, and our eyes begin to adjust, and they begin to adjust. And so finally, oh, I can see you, and you can see me in 
a little outline, but very little detail. And I say to you, let's walk toward the light. Let's go three steps down the, down the aisle. And we take three steps toward the aisle. What happens? Well, we can begin to see ourselves a little bit better. Uh, if it's Ben, I can tell that he doesn't have on a black shirt. I begin, can begin to tell he's got a plaid shirt on. And I say, let's take four steps. And we come four more steps. And begin, Ben looks at me and he says, you're really old. I couldn't tell it when we were standing back there, but I can tell now you're really old. Yeah, you're right. Let's take five steps. Let's get close to God. Ben looks over at me, being a doctor. He said, well, you got a mole right there on your, under your right side of your lip. you got a couple of scars up there and, a, and an age spot over here. Yeah? Let's take a few more steps. What's the point? The closer you get to the light, the more you can see. I think Paul got really close to the light. And he could see a lot of spiritual grunk that he couldn't stand see when he was standing way back at the back. Why is it important to know that? Because Jesus is standing up here the whole time. His arms are open. And he's saying, come to me. Come to me. And when you're standing back there, it may not seem like that's that big a deal because you can't see a lot of the spiritual grunk from back there. But when you get about halfway down the aisle and you look at the spiritual grunk in your life, and Jesus' arms are open, and he's saying, come to me. I want you to come to me. I will love you. Come to me. You think, really? Somebody like me? And what's going to happen as you get close to the light is you're going to either become a Pharisee and a lot of people do. I'm telling you, a lot of people do. A lot of people just deny what they see when they get close to the light. Or you'll, like Apostle Paul, you'll say, of whom I am foremost. And you're going to say to me, well, pastor, how can everybody think they're foremost? Well, everybody can think they're foremost. This is a subjective thing, not an objective thing. Let me tell you when else that happens. That happens when you come to the Lord's Supper. And you confess sin. And the sin you confess is sin you confessed before. And you wonder, will he accept me? Will he forgive me? Will he embrace me? Will he allow me to come close? He come, come. But God, if, if I were you, I wouldn't let me come. But I'm not you. <laughs> That's the gospel. You need to know that. He's not us. He doesn't operate like us. Thank God. Thank God. And so when you get really close to God, you see grunk you've never seen before. So I was doing a Bible study from this passage. It was sometime between 70, 1976 and 1980 because it was, I know the church I was pastoring then. And uh, there was a, it was in, uh, on the suburb on the north side of Jackson, Mississippi, and there was a a woman in there named Bitsy Jean uh, Yelverton. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Bitsy Jean. And um, 
I kind of told this like I'm telling you to a certain extent, and I kind of worked it through, and she said, oh, Alan, that's just great. She said, you mean I'm not supposed to feel better about myself the longer I'm a Christian? I said, bitch, Eugene, who in the Bible were the people that felt better than, about themselves? She said, the Pharisees. Yep, you got it. <laughs> you got it. Am I supposed to, as I walk toward the light, oh, I'm a great guy. I'm a great gal. I've gotten closer to the light. No, you're going to see stuff that's going to scare your socks off. And you're going to think, can God love me? Let me tell you what the answer to that is. Yes! Absolutely yes! He knew all along. And he said, come on. Come on down. Come on all the way down. Come on all the way down. So Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Her sins are forgiven? She's a streetwalker. Yes. This means everything to her. She thought she was beyond the grace of God, beyond the concern of God, beyond the forgiveness of God. She thought that he would reject her like the other men that she had known had rejected her. Why? Because that's what the religious establishment had told her. You're not good enough. You don't fit. You can't come. I don't want you in my synagogue. I don't want you in my church. It's startling to Simon. It's, it means everything to her, but it's absolutely startling to Simon because Simon doesn't know the gospel. It seems an impossible contradiction to him. Someone who has sinned like she has cannot be the focus of God's love and care. She can't be forgiven. She can't be accepted. She can't be welcomed. She can't be embraced. How can you know whether you're Simon or the woman? It will take the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it will take that. Do you think repeat offenders should come and be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, repeat offender. You know, it's a first-time offender, and they're repeat offenders, right? Well, repeat offenders are the ones that the judge, good judges do what? They throw the book at repeat offenders. The first-time offenders can get... God, sometimes the judge will cut them a little slack, right? But a repeat offender, well, they're just, they're bad people, right? You read about it in the newspaper and you think, yeah, put them in the jail and throw away the key. Dear friend, you and I are repeat offenders. Let's say there are 10 sins. <laughs> you say, I'm no other gods before me. Go on down to 10, okay? 10, 10 sins. Are there any you don't break? Not if you understand them. You break every one of them. Right? Yeah. We're repeat offenders. Can God repeat, forgive repeat offenders? You know, I find that, um, any of you have Catholic backgrounds? I, I, I'm just curious. I know Monty does. You know, the Catholics have this distinction between mortal sin and venial sin, which is basically the distinction between serious sin and non-serious sin. I, I don't mean that flippantly, but just, show, you know, cutting through the... The, the tape, the red tape, it's really, there's serious sin and there's non-serious sin. Protestants are like that. What's serious sin? Your sin. What's non-serious sin? My sin. It's always like that. It's always like that, right? We're just, we, it's just different details, different words, different ways we, we, 
we label it, but that's what it is. Friend, we all have serious sin because there's an awesomely holy God that we sin against, and we're all repeat offenders, and we're all bankrupt, just like in the parable. What does this mean to the guests? Look in verse 49 about with the guests. They think, well, who is this guy? He forgives sins? Well, he's claiming to be God, isn't he? Yes, he is claiming to be God, the forgiver of sins. But the crowd there, the other people around this table, are pretty undecided, uncommitted, and unloving toward Jesus and the woman. He says to the woman, your faith has saved you. And I've already talked about that. Um, You're saved. You're saved, lady. You're saved. Even in spite of your background, in spite of who you are and what you've done, you are saved. And then he says at the very end, go in peace. I want to say a little bit about that because, you know, at the end, after the benediction, uh, at the very end of the service, we've now got in here, and and you can blame me for this, uh, the sending, sending out. After the benediction, doxology, sending out. And I'll say, go in the peace of God to love and serve God, okay? He told her, go in the peace, go in the peace of God. What is the peace of God? Um, it, it, it is not primarily a psychological, subjective peace of heart. It's not that in the first instance. The peace of God is an external, spiritual reality of being reconciled to God and in covenant with God and under the wings of God and in the love of God and with the protection and provision of God promised to you because of Jesus Christ. The peace of God, the shalom of God, if you know the Hebrew word, the shalom of God is what you will experience in Revelation 21 and 22 when, we, uh, when our faith becomes sight. And to go in the peace of God is to realize that the peace of God is my present possession by faith in Jesus Christ. And so I go in it, and the, the go here is a, a present ongoing tense. To, to, I, I live in it. I love and serve God from a position of being reconciled to God and having the covenant promises of God uh, upon me. And so I can love and serve God with abandon and boldness and shamelessness, and I can love and serve my neighbors myself. I'm not exactly sure what this lady thought, this woman thought at the beginning of this dinner party, um, but I think that she thought that she was really stretching to go in this Pharisee's house and to do what she did. And Jesus is assuring of her of what the religious establishment would never tell her, that in spite of her sin, she was forgiven by God because of her faith in Jesus Christ. At the start of the party, that's, that was the lady. At the start of the party, I think Simon thinks he's saved. But I think he's not. I think he thinks he's a gracious, lovable, good guy, but he's not. He's just an ugly Pharisee, and he doesn't love Jesus because he doesn't think he needs Jesus. His interest in Jesus is only in the head, and he rejects Jesus when Jesus rejects religion and accepts the woman and proclaims and practices grace. Why is that? Because he doesn't know grace. People who are in the peace of God and who know that they are there by grace welcome sinners and are not shaken by the presence of sinners and the confession of sinners and the worship of God by sinners because they know who they are and they know how they got there and they know they got there in the same way. Let's pray. Lord,
We want great and growing love for you. And Lord, if I've gotten this passage right, and I think I have, the only way to have a great and growing love for you is when we get close to the light and see more grunk, more spiritual grunk in our lives than we've ever seen before. We see you there with open, open arms saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, help us to know, to digest, to believe the gospel in Christ's name. Amen.